0: Did you ever see that Ikea commercial with the desk lamp? The one that got old and worn out and left on the curb in the rain where it turned almost longingly towards the window of its former home, watching its replacement be turned on for the first time? The narrator called you crazy for feeling bad for that lamp. But I feel bad for that lamp. I feel bad for the lamp because of pareidolia. tight! Pareidolia means the perception of meaning or significance in an object. We see faces in everyday objects, and it causes us to attribute feelings and to care about the things that will never, ever, ever love us back, like the lamp or your brand. Pareidolia makes the unrelatable relatable, turning inanimate objects or abstract concepts into something we can tell stories about and have experiences with. And we all understand the world through stories. I'll tell you one in just a moment if you're a communications pro who works hard doesn't compromise quality and gets the job done welcome home we'll share our tips tricks and stories and together we will change the face of pr spin sucks but we don't with the spin sucks podcast here's jenny dietrich my five-year-old sees faces in everything She especially sees penguin faces in everything. She loves, loves, loves penguins. Even when there really isn't something there, she'll try to make you believe there is a penguin in the coffee cup or keyboard or bubble wrap. But it's not just penguins. Kids don't have the, what would I call it, unfortunate experience of being beat down. So their creativity is amazing. She looks for penguins in everything, and I most certainly don't want want to stifle her creativity, so I look too. Remember a couple of years ago when people believed they saw the Virgin Mary in a tree right here in Chicago? Maybe it wasn't national news, but people here flocked to the south side to pay homage, and people came from all around the globe to do the same. We are a race of periodolia lovers. So what does all of this have to do with PR? Well, you've heard of customer personas. Your brand has a persona too, and if you're going to tell the right stories to the right people, which should be your ultimate goal, then you need to understand your own brand persona. You already know your brand descriptors, if you're sarcastic or traditional or hipster or cool, and you know your qualifiers, what you always do, what you never do, what you believe and what you support. Now it's time to take those ideas and put them together Program an algorithm, upload it to an AI and welcome our synthetic overloads, overlords, overlords or not. That will happen someday. You heard it here first, but for now, you're going to have to do the work yourself. What you're really going to do is create a little periodolia that your customers can feel about your brand, not to make them believe your mascot is real, but to be able to connect them on a human level. You don't have to get absolutely Shakespearean here. There are three main categories of a brand persona and you'll fall into one of them more than the others. That's plenty to be able to create a persona that resonates with people. But why even bother? It's not a big secret that having a strong persona is necessary. But what happens if you don't have one? I'd venture to guess you've already experienced that. Unless an organization is crystal clear about who they service, it's pretty well guaranteed that you've worked places that have not defined their own persona. There are lots of places you go every day that suffer from no brand persona. The post office, the bank, maybe even your local grocery store, unless, of course, it's Whole Foods. Those are all places we have to go, but not necessarily places we love to go. Now, none of this means you need to go invent a wholly new, completely original, never-before-thought-of thought, before thought of persona for your brand. There are three high-level types that all companies fit into. Number one, reinforcers. Number two, supporters. And number three, challengers. The main type of persona you have is more important than naming it Ed or Sally or having a mascot designed. Let's talk a little bit more about the different types and what kinds of companies they work best for. We'll start with reinforcers. These companies have a deep understanding of your customers' needs and your content and messaging reinforces your audience existing worldview. Do you have that one friend who thinks just like you do? I do. And I'm lucky enough to get to work with her too. I love to tell the story of when a couple of years ago I was standing in line at the aforementioned non-brand persona grocery store waiting in line. While I waited, I checked my email and saw one from a client. It said, I've talked with our CEO. We'd love for you to do X, X, and X. I had two thoughts immediately. Awesome. And what the heck? (laughs) You see, it was a ton more work, but there'd been no budget discussion. In fact, as far as I knew, she'd not even asked if we could do those three, three things for them. So I immediately called Laura Petrolino, who answered the phone this way. I have no idea what she's talking about either. She'd had the same exact thought as me, and we melded our brains. I said, okay, thank you, and that was that. We went back to the client and said we'd be happy to do those three things, but it would require more money. If Laura were a brand, she'd be my reinforcer. A reinforcer tells stories that, well, reinforce their audience's worldview. This instantly develops a feeling of trust, and it helps the consumer feel closer to the brand. This messaging strategy works for highly niche-focused brands that very, very clearly understand their consumers' needs, wants, and pain points. There are some pros and some cons to being a reinforcer brand. The pros are consumer trust, stories definitely resonate, there's an ease of community building, consumers can be extremely well-targeted, and the strategy can be streamlined because most qualified leads will consume information in similar ways. The cons of being a reinforcer brand is that conversion from community member to buyer is often difficult. Often consumers simply enjoy being part of your community, but need to be presented with clear calls to action to convert. Reinforcer brands often make the mistake of not doing this. And I speak from experience. (laughs) Another con is that you will alienate many consumers. Because a reinforcer brand is highly niched and targeted, you will turn away some consumers who might not be your exact target, but could still potentially be buyers. So are you a reinforcer brand? Ask yourself, do you tell your customers things they agree with? If you do, then you're reinforcing their beliefs. Do you help your customers do what they really, already really want to do in the way they do them? That's reinforcer behavior. Do you create thorough content on specific topics that your audience looks for? The kind that would be completely over the head of anyone not interested? Reinforcers create those hyper-focused niche pieces their audiences love and no one else gets. If reinforcers, reinforcer brands engage with people outside their niche, it tends to feel like a click to those hanging on the periphery. So if you're a reinforcer brand, make sure you stay within your niche so you don't make anyone feel bad. Now let's move on to supporting brands or supporter brands. Their customers have a big problem and you have a solution, maybe a new and exciting one that fixes it. Supporter brands are your cheerleaders. They help reinforce change. They push forward behavior change, whether that be as simple as product change or as detailed as lifestyle change. This works well for brands that are bringing in a concept or innovation that is needed and maybe even asked for. But change is still change, and human nature will almost always push against it, even when it's asked for. These messages help support the behavior change, empower frame revision, and establish new habits. habits. They must be persuasive, educational, and comforting. There are pros and cons as well to being a supporter brand. The pros are stories are empowering. Empowering and inspirational stories work well for these brands and are wonderfully sticky and shareable. Supporter brands present products or services that are new and shiny. Even if they really aren't, the messaging presents them this way. You see this a lot in uh, diets. So the Whole30 and keto and things like that, it's just presented in new ways. This gets people like those in your target audience that will naturally gravitate to them. And the target market often defines themselves. Some people are ready for change and some aren't. Supporter brand storytelling attracts the right people to you. Now, the cons of being a supporter brand is there is a resistance to change. While the idea of change can be exciting, actually doing it can be overwhelming and human nature is is by nature resistant to change. Conversion to leads might be easy, but to sales, extremely difficult. Buyers will also have a tendency to not follow through or continue. Supporter brands must have a very effective lead nurturing strategy, which continues after the sale to prevent both of these circumstances. And then the other con is there's a difficulty with emotional messaging. So messaging must be challenging and persuasive while comforting, supportive, and educational. This can often be a very fine line to walk, and organizations must be very clear and consistent on brand voice and messaging with all team member and consumer touch points. So to figure out if you're a supporter brand, you want to ask yourself, do I tell empowering, inspiring stories that our customers can see themselves in? Are you in a new industry? Have you invented something? Are you solving a persistent ongoing problem? Do your clients find you and say, finally, this is what we've been looking for? The challenge of being a supporter brand, of course, is you have to be new or present something new. Apple is a great example of a supporter brand, but not many of us can replicate that. Now, the last brand persona type you might be is a challenger. Presenting a challenger story aims at your customers' deep-seated and entrenched beliefs and behaviors. A challenge brand is the most difficult to harness. You challenge your target's view of the world, their preconceptions and behaviors. A challenger brand is most appropriate for organizations that can use the challenge as part of their point of differentiation and have a target market which is challenging, contra-behaviorist appealing to. It must be inspiring, persuasive, and edgy. However, you also must use exceptionally targeted language which resonates within your audience's mind. A challenger persona is effective for a brand with a target audience that prides themselves on going against the status quo or counterculture behaviors. The challenge itself is part of their worldview, but the danger of basing basing success on a consumer like this is the tendency that they will also abandon you for the next new big shiny thing when it comes along, and it will. Language must be exceptionally well-targeted, and the call to action must engage through an inspirational challenge messaging versus a combative one. If you ever try to replace an existing solution for your customers, annoy, irritate, or anger anger people with your content and messaging, appeal to rebellious, non-conforming people, are an app, then you might be a challenger brand. Uber started the crazy app culture that is raging right now, and they definitely are a challenger brand. And I feel more comfortable talking about them now that their gross founder is out of the picture. But you know how everyone wants to be Uber and Airbnb? That's what we're talking about here. Just like everyone wanted to be a daily deal site after Groupon launched. If you have something that challenges the status quo, you're a challenger brand. I met a communications director who works for a company that makes parts for restaurants equipment. You wouldn't think they'd be a challenger brand, but the innovation they've put into place to run their organization is so far out ahead of their competition, it's likely they'll never be beat. They're not super innovative when it comes to technology in general, but how they're using it for a parts company is innovative. It allows them to be a challenger brand. So you have reinforcer, supporter, and challenger. But you might be asking yourself right now, but Jenny, what's it all for? You've told us about lamps and penguins and lifestyle changes and apps. How does this affect my daily professional life? The stories that you tell, the messaging and content that you create is such is essentially from your brand persona. This is the source of your inspiration, the different ways you're going to connect with your customers or your clients' customers. And if you're flitting about between all three of them, then you're never going to have consistent, relatable, effective messaging. You know who you're serving and you know, now know who you are. That's the filter you will look through when it's time to create content, whether it's a tweet or an instruction manual or a press release. If you support, you soothe and handhold your audience. If you reinforce, you back them up and validate them. If you challenge, you take risks and engage their wild sides. You can name your brand persona if you want to, though. Periodolia is fun. My phone is named George II, and everything my kid sees has a penguin in it. All right, folks, this has been a blast as usual. And if you want to keep the good times rolling, come join the Spin Sucks community where you can talk to other awesome industry professionals about what matters, what doesn't, what you need to know, and how you can grow. Go to spinsucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. It's spinsucks.com slash spin sucks community with hyphens in the middle and join us.